one, I don't know that I've ever met somebody black or brown to ever say that, right? Growing up um, in my age demo, right? So I'm just curious as to your inspiration on um, that goal, how it kind of, you know, got fed into your brain and, you know, how you kind of ran with it. I hurt myself back in August. We, we talked about it on here and the insurance company denied the MRI their their medical director whomever reviewed um right that is that something is that is essentially that, what you're that, doing was that or you? it wasn't Were her you the clearly, one who denied but, your MRI? <laughs> I, yes i denied your mri no. <laughs> you know you don't really sit around with your friends and you know kind of say hey what are your top five goals you know for this year or like what is you know how's your tell me let's talk about your top relationships tell me what is something about your relationships that you're missing or what is, what are some, what are some of your values in your relationships with people? Um, kind of really just kind of explicitly talking yeah. about yeah. these questions yeah. uh, as a group. And we're live. We are live. Not over text. Conversations better had in person. Sam. Carl. And we're back. It's been a while. It's always a while. I feel like we always say that. Yeah, No, we, but, we, we do always say but that. But that's life in a pandemic <laughs> when you're busier than ever. Like, I think if it's one of those things where you have to choose if you want to work or if you want a pod. And unfortunately, podcasting isn't paying the bill. So I want to work. Though we, we have some options. We could do some <laughs> ad stuff. But anyway, <laughs> we'll talk about that more later. Uh, what uh, we got on tap today, sir? Uh, today, I think we well, I don't want to spoil it just yet, you know, but I think it's, you know, a continuation of something we've been trying to do for a little while now. And we do have a guest. I think we can say that much. Okay. Right. There's a guest in the room, in the Zoom. Right. You like that? <laughs> <laughs> but, dad uh, joke. Huh? <laughs> yeah, that is definitely a dad joke. But we do have a guest today, so I think we'll touch upon that. But you know, just a quick catch up on you since last we spoke. Last we spoke, it was last year. Well, yeah, yeah. Though so that's like another corny dad joke because it was last month. It was last year. There was a We're still in January. There was a different president. Things have changed. This is sir. true. So we, it's the <laughs> day after are, inauguration. Yeah, yeah, day. The, the world changed. is is very different. Um, I mean, not much has changed with me since then, personally. Um, Got your hair pressed firmly <laughs> against your skull right now. Yeah. <laughs> Just saying. Uh, it's tight. You're a hater. Like a tiger. You're a hater. Well, maybe a little bit. Um, yes, new, well... No, last time my hairstyle no, was you the got, same. You got the COVID, dude. You got a COVID, dude. Your hair wasn't like this pre-COVID. That is correct. It yeah. was not like so this pre-COVID. Why don't you tell the people what you got? Maybe we're not ready to. <laughs> I mean, I haven't revealed it on social. And so, because, you know, life right now is about the, the oh, impending baby. Yeah. Yeah, you can tell That's them about the baby, but you can't so. tell them about your hair, though. I know it's personal. I got you. <laughs> so let's talk about the baby. How's the baby doing? She's coming. She's coming. She's, yeah, now we know it's a she too. Yes. That was that we didn't know last time. See, either. there you go. Exactly. So we are having a girl. Uh Dawn is almost six and a half months at this point. Mm -hmm. So the time will be here before we know it. Yeah. Trying to get the house together, the nursery in order. And then it never goes back. Yeah. So Yeah. So I hear. Yeah, no, that's um, you don't need to hear that. That's the truth. It never goes back. So always look forward. Um, so yeah, those are major changes, man. Baby reveal, gender, 
mm-hmm. new president, riot on the Capitol. Yeah. There's like things have happened since last we spoke, even though it's been, you know, a month or whatever. So I just don't want to, I don't want to overlook that. No, we, we can talk more about that. And, and I'll give the people since you are, I am locking my hair. Mm-hmm. And so, and, and so I'm talking about, you know, my COVID due that, that is what's happening. This it's uh, nicely styled at the moment as mm-hmm. I got it done uh, last week, last weekend. Mm-hmm. So, okay, there you go. Okay, okay. Um, pictures soon come. Mm, maybe. maybe that'll be the promo for one of our episodes. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, let's get into it. I mean, it. You, you know, you and uh, me and your wife are on the journey together, even though she's uh, she's locked up before. Mm-hmm. So, there's a little new for you. Yes, brand new, and it's culturally relevant to you also. Fake Jamaican. Okay. Anyway, um, I think enough on you, right? And enough on me, but uh, we do want to welcome our guest into the room. Let us welcome Christina Gerdes. Is there Hello. Clap- is there clapping? Let's clap. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I- <laughs> well, we, we do have um, sound effects, but I can't find the right one. Which one is <laughs> you pressed the wrong one, she gets booed. <laughs> Yeah, we we don't want to have that happen um, with our return guest, Dr. Gertis. Yes, thank you for correcting me on that, right? No, it's all good. Dr. Christina Gertis. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you for Thank you for having us. me again. No, thank you for joining us again. Do you remember the first time we had Christina? Yes, I do remember. It was season one, episode 11. The doctors are in the house, oh, literally. Yes. Or literally, literally, as people might say. And yeah. I, I think that was one of our... Best episodes. I really um, enjoyed Most that highly listened to, great critical Christina uh, acclaim. Saying, Christina saying, "No, that's not true." <laughs> no, that, that, no, I, I was in the the entanglement one. Oh, you were in that one too. Oh, so we've had her multiple. Only times? no, I was only in the entanglement. Oh, look one. at you! Look at Am you! I make, so who were the doctors? That was Cynthia. Cynthia. Omar and, and Omar. Jonathan. Oh, mm, I'm not even. Okay, can't even so then it that. was episode 14 mm. of season one, mm-hmm. Entanglement. Now I'm not even going. I don't even know if you're spitting facts. That's like fake I, news. I promise you, I am. Okay, episode 14, season one. Okay, thank, I co-sign him. Thank you for sense. correcting me, Christina. I'm sorry about that. I swore that that we should have had you as part of that doctor's episode. My bad. She's saying yes to that. I'm going to blame. I'm going to say you are unavailable. Okay. I'm going to sip my tea. <laughs> <laughs> well, no. welcome back. Yeah, welcome back. Uh, we did have fun last time for sure. I think that, yes, that, that also, was a very that fun. also was, was one of our um, more listened to episodes as well. So I think both of those facts are true, but it was definitely was fun. Uh, I think this one will be a little bit more fun because we're not talking about AUG. Right. We'll just (laughs) this time we're just going to focus on Christina and what we've been kind of sort of doing pseudo doing, which is like a a series on entrepreneurs. Right. And particularly Mm -hmm. black and brown entrepreneurs that, you know, we've known and grown up with and had the privilege to experience some of their journey with. And um, Christina, though, from afar, you know, vicariously through her husband is kind of where I get most of my information. I've experienced part of her journey. She's here to speak for herself and kind of, you know, bring us into the know with regards to just, you know, what her current endeavors are, because we think they're culturally and socially relevant at this time. Carl, anything else? So on that note, Mm -hmm. Christina, why don't you reintroduce yourself to the people? Okay, I give you a little bit of a background. By all means. Yeah, sure. So um, 
My name is Christina Gertis. I was born and raised in Queens, New York. That was Dr. Christina uh, Gertis. <laughs> I don't walk around calling myself a doctor, but yes, Dr. Christina Gertis. Back on your name. <laughs> yes. I mean, I, I think she only really needs to do that if people are out here treating her like, uh, <laughs> like Dr. Joe Biden talking about how, you know, using now medical doctors different, of course, oh. but... People yeah. are disrespectful out here. Yes, that's true. That's true. Um, but yeah, so I was born and raised in Queens. I am black and Dominican. Okay. I am a physician. So I went to medical school. Um, I went, to, well, first I went to Binghamton with you folks, right? Mm-hmm. I had a great time. Um, I got my master's at Binghamton. And then afterwards, I went to George Washington University um, for medical school. G-dub. Um, G dubs. My yep. wife went there for B school. That's why I, I vicariously claim GW yeah, also. You walk around we were, with GW shirts. I don't actually, but I'm saying, <laughs> I, I'm showing love and respect to my wife's alma mater. Okay. We were there together for the last, I think, my last two years. Oh, um, right. Yeah, in, in DC. Gotcha. Um, you said you got your master's at Binghamton studying what? Biology. Biology. So I study uh-huh. psychobio for my for a, a, batch, a bachelor's of science in psychobio, a master's in uh, biology. So you came to college saying I'm a study psychobio. Yes, and I was a Division One softball player at Binghamton, and so they kind of blocked that for the first two years. Got you. That's where we met, by the way. So mm-hmm. you know, I saw you, tomboy, and all. I was just like, oh, she's just here to like become a professional softball player not realizing there was this underlying plan to psycho bio it out. Cause that's yeah. like one, that's like one of them hard situations where it's just like, like I look at you, people tell me this is what they're doing. I'm like, yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, fun fact as a black woman, a lot of people told me, yeah, right. Mm-hmm. But, um, but Sam was my first friend at Binghamton. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. Yeah. I was also after uh, my roommate. I feel for you, Christina. Oh man. Oh man. <laughs> he was my first black friend at Binghamton. Yeah, that mm. too. That too. I still feel for you. <laughs> Come on, man. I'm his friend now and it troubles me every day. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, y'all need to learn how to be nice. But I, I re- you bringing up softball. I remember Christina coming to BSU meetings with her softball gear, like following practice. Um I don't know why that just vividly sticks out in my head. I swear she wanted to go pro. I was like, all right. I don't know if there's a pro league out there, but okay. We'll see how there we'll was, see where this goes. There, was, there wasn't no money in going pro, too, though. I'm happy you said that because I was talking with someone about that um, with kids and whatnot. And, like, my daughter's going to play tennis. Your daughter's going to play tennis? Yeah. <laughs> there's Williams? money in tennis. I mean, there's money in tennis, bro. Oh, my God. So that's the only, the only, I don't have any regrets, but, and I want a girl, but... That's the only like drawback of not having a boy, baseball, because uh-huh. that's where the real sports money is. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Anywho, okay, we'll get, we'll take, we'll do the another who conversation. Gets paid who and, and what on a different episode. But um, psycho bio, that was what it was going to be from the jump. You said they tried to stifle you the first two years you were there. Well, they limited what courses I could take, mm-hmm. so I can only take three courses at a time because of our our travel, you know, go, playing games and traveling for games, missing, you know, exams and stuff like that. So um, I was only allowed to take three classes at a time. And you were there on scholarship? I, I, I had a small scholarship. I wasn't like, I wasn't, they didn't recruit me on a scholarship. Got you. Okay. Um, I contacted them. I told them I wanted to go to Binghamton. 
um, I, they said I can join the team and then gave me a small scholarship. This was from what high school? St. Francis Prep in Queens. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. All right. So, so yeah, but ahead. I played ball my whole life and yeah. And then, uh, played travel ball, went to nationals, you know, um, every year like you know let the people, we, i think we ranked fifth let the people know what position you played come on i played all but in co- in college i played second base um right field and catcher craig biggio <laughs> wow you don't you really don't hear that a lot uh someone who plays catcher second base and then oh, right field that literally was craig biggio's career oh, okay <laughs> Um, for those who don't know, he, I don't know if he made the Hall of Fame, but he played for the Houston Astros. He came up as a catcher, and most of his career was spent at second base. Got you. Well, Look thank you that. for that. Nobody listening to this knows that, but thank you. For that. <laughs> <laughs> um, Listen, okay, I'm a baseball fan. And then um, there was one more question I wanted to ask, but I think it'll come back to me later. So you called Binghamton to let them know, hey, you know, I'm a baseball player. I would like to join the team. And get softball. Softball player. Softball, yeah. Sent them my video and then she met had with a, them. She had a sizzle reel. Recruit, <laughs> re- recruiting video before, before, before TikTok. Was, uh, before YouTube, before TikTok. Look at how <laughs> old I am. I said YouTube. She goes <laughs> straight to TikTok, Jesus. yeah. That was actually my we question. We doing buster challenges out here? Come on, man. Come on, man. That was, that was actually my question. Were you actually a fan of baseball as a sport? I don't even know if those two have to go together. Yeah, I mean, my fa- my dad watched baseball, so I was a Met fan growing up. Um, so it's just all, lived in it's Queens. all Queens for you. Yeah, all Queens. Okay. Um, but um, now I don't watch sports. I prefer live sports, though. I, I usually go to like a live baseball game at least twice a year. Well, Hulu has live sports. So <laughs> just, just so you know. Okay, Dame. <laughs> Um, Damian Lillard oh, out man, here. Don't let me bust out of sixteen. But um, or are you Baker Mayfield? Which do you see, prefer? Okay, so we are now at GW. Yep. So went to GW uh, for medical school. They have tracks there, so I I did the community health track. I knew I wanted to be a psychiatrist going into medical school, and um, so I was there. And um, there's a National Student Association, which is basically um, kind of like the BSU, but for med school. So I was the president of that group when I was at um, medical school as well. Okay. And, the, and the psychiatric group as well. So let's bring that back a little bit. You said you knew you wanted to be a, I want to get it right, psychiatrist. Psychiatrist, And then yep. part of this, you're going to have to break it down for the people, the difference between psychologists and psychiatrists. But, you know... One, I don't know that I've ever met somebody, black or brown, to ever say that, right, growing up um, in my age demo, right? So I'm just curious as to your inspiration on um, that goal, how it kind of, you know, got fed into your brain and, you know, how you kind of ran with it. Yeah, I think there's two, I think about this a lot, you know, as, you know, going through the medical journey and asking, being asked this question a lot, but um I think a couple of things. So growing up being half black, half Dominican, um, you know, often like and being, uh, you know, having lighter skin um, growing up in elementary school, you know, I wasn't black enough for, you know, the black kids. And but I wasn't Latina enough for the Spanish kids. 
um, because I didn't, we didn't speak Spanish in my household. Um, so I kind of didn't really fit in, um, you know, kind of neatly into one group. And my elementary school, of course, was separated, you know, black kids, uh, Hispanic, Latino kids, and then white kids. So I kind of bounced around um, from groups, like I had a couple of friends in each group. And that's kind of how my life has been since then. Like I have a lot of friends dispersed in a lot of different areas. Um, but, you know, I was kind of always like, I got made fun of for my hair, if you believe it or not, in elementary school. Um, now, like, people walk up to me like, your hair is beautiful, and it's, like, a very surreal situation. But I used to get made fun of all the time for my hair, you know, and, and things like that. And so, um, you know, I just kind of felt like an outcast, like, kind of growing up, not having a specific niche. Um, but then at the same time, I had, a, I had a cousin that had autism, growing up and, you know, still has autism, um, doesn't really speak, you know, can't really take care of themselves. Um, and so that, and along with, um, you know, my experience just when I was in high school taking electives, um, there was a psychology elective and, you know, I really enjoyed it and was like, you know, this is what I want to do. I want to, you know, learn more about people and, you know, just kind of had an affinity drawn to it, you know, from the beginning. So a couple of things. When you said separated back when you were talking about elementary school, I'm thinking you mean the culture of the school and the way the kids got together was a very segregated thing, right? So the black kids would be with black right. kids, whites, whites, and, and the Hispanics. Or what is the proper term? I don't even know what So, I yeah. So Hispanics are usually people, they consider themselves like when you're from Spain, okay. um, is my understanding. And then Latinos are from the Caribbean gotcha. um, area. I'm going to leave it alone. <laughs> we've been through yeah, this okay. already no no no, right? no, no, no. Oh. we've been through one thing and okay. I'm gonna leave that alone because I'm, I'm not gonna shoot myself in the alright thank you please but, but I know people have different understandings of it but at least that's mine got that's you mine. no that makes sense so you know I guess maybe something I'm curious about is do you think the complex that you faced um, as an adolescent due to um, your environment dealing with other people led you to maybe possibly wanting to solve and be curious about the human condition and even like just know more about people almost to solve something for yourself? Well, I think it was like, I just naturally am empathetic to people who are the outcasts because I can identify as being an outcast, right? Or not necessarily outcast because I was friends with a lot of people, but I didn't necessarily mm -hmm. like fit in. Mm -hmm. Like I wasn't like, you know, I was slightly off, you know, slightly, you know, not, awkward. not awkward, you know, um, not necessarily like hitting the mark all the time, just slightly different. Okay. Um, and so I identify, I think, uh, very readily to people who, you know, who are, you know, slightly off, not in the in crowd or, you know, where people, you know, where someone doesn't really understand, you know, mm -hmm. the general population doesn't really necessarily understand them readily, if yeah, that makes it, sense. No, I think yeah, so. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. So then now you find um, psychiatry in mm -hmm. high school. Well, I took a psychology course, okay. which is kind of just the study of, of, of 
human nature, right? And I learned the difference between a psychiatrist, a psychologist, you know, therapist. Um, so a psychiatrist is a physician who goes to medical school, um, studies um, psychiatry and prescribes medicine, um, you know, uh, medications uh, for people who have behavioral health problems or, you know, mental illness. Um, psychologists are um, doctors who get their PhD and study psychology. So they don't go to medical school and they can't prescribe medications, but they do therapy. Okay. And a therapist. therapist. And a therapist is a general term. It can be anyone that engages in, you know, talk therapy. So you can have someone who is a master's level, um, like social worker or a licensed mental health clinician, um, LMHC, or um, a PhD, right? A psychologist does it can be a therapist. They do therapy, and I also consider myself a therapist. Um, I do therapy with my patients, and I can get a little more into that later when we talk about the rest of my training. All right. So, just at a high level, do you, either of you three groups make fun of the other group? Just because. Uh, I think it happens. Make fun. There's tension. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. generally tension between yeah. the groups all the time. Um, I generally, um, from my training, I don't, I don't carry those train, those tensions around. Um, but what I do you, have like, give us the dirt. Like, what do you, what do you, what people be whispering to you while you, like, <laughs> you know, like, like in the back of your mind, like, I don't care, but somebody else has to get it off their chest. Yeah. Like, you know, like I think like psychologists and social workers say like, you know, doctors can't really be good therapists because they're all about the medications, you know? And then like, you know, doctors would say like, oh, they don't really know what's going on with the person because they don't know the whole like medical school part end of it. Um, you know, I think there's back, there's, there's those, those back and forth. But I work, you know, I've worked in multiple settings with uh, p- certified peers, which are people who have lived experience of behavioral health problems. Uh, I've worked with um, social workers, licensed mental health clinicians, psychologists, MDs. And I think, you know, you can't really just generalize to a level of training. It's really about the individual person and their experience. And um, a lot of my good friends, you know, who I've worked with before are social workers and licensed mental health clinicians. And, you know, we have a ongoing, I have ongoing group chats with all of them and we hang out. We're really good friends. So I generally don't subscribe to like, you know, the elitism. Okay. Do you guys, do you all, this is my last question. Do all of you guys (laughs) attend the same like conferences? No, they're they're separated. So yeah, there's a I'm part of the APA, which is the American Psychiatric Association, and that's for MDs. But um, social workers and PhDs can go to that, but it's it's largely MDs and DOs that go. And DOs are what? They're they're the I'm going to get this wrong, but doctor of osteopathy. Um, they're a different type of, uh, and I'm probably saying that wrong. Um, so there's there's traditional medical school, and then there's DO school. Uh, but in the end, at the end of their training, they're still doctors. So a lot of people wouldn't wouldn't actually know if their doctor's a DO or MD unless, like, you ask them. Um, like, I've talked to people. I'm like, is your doctor an MD or a DO? And then they'll go look and they're like, oh, actually, they're a DO. Um, and that also is just a, a kind of different way of training. Um, MD is a, is a traditional um, um, doctor of medicine training. And then DO's was uh, – 
was um, developed after that. And they're more, um, they look at it from my understanding. The last time I looked at this is that Mm -hmm. it's just more um, total body and not like individual, Um, you know, in in medicine, we separated out by like, you know, um, we separate out by like, this is the liver, this is the kidney, you know, by different parts. And they try to do a holistic holistic approach. approach. So I'm just curious again, you know, and I think this, this would be great for anybody who was curious to know what it would take to even, you know, get to this level. Like what, what, how many years of schooling are we talking about? Um, are we also taking boards? Like just what does it look like on the path to eventually just saying, Hey, I am a licensed, uh, psychiatrist. And also, um, what led you to GW for med school? For med school, yeah. So um, I did, right, four years at Binghamton. Um, and then I did a, uh, my master's year, which was mainly because um, I wasn't ready to apply my uh, – generally you apply your junior year um, to medical school um, or after your junior year. And I wasn't ready to apply because of softball. So I had to make up, you know, um, my med- my uh, my biology courses. So I applied after my senior year, and I needed something to do in between. And my husband, Franz, as you, you guys know, uh, was at Binghamton, and so I decided to stay there for a year and, and get my master's. Um, and it made sense. Um, so, mm-hmm. I, so I did my master's at Bing. Then after that, I went to GW. So I applied to a whole host of um, MD schools. Um, I got accepted to a few, um, so, uh, some in New York, one in Philly, um, and then uh, Howard and, and GW. Um, and I decided to go to GW just after, which, you know, right now is a I'm plus or minus about it. I loved my experience at GW. It was great. Um, it was a whole lot of money. Uh, a half a million dollars worth of money. And <laughs> that's five and, double low. Yeah. Thought law school so, was bad. Yeah. And so I'm almost done paying off my loans. We'll be done this year, but it's mm. a lot of, it, it was very expensive. Um, I could have gone to a state school at New York and would have had half the amount of loans, but, um, you know, I, I wanted to live in a different city. I wanted to go to GW. GW had like a big, um, robust psych, um, rotation and just department. And so I had a great experience. I don't regret it. It's just, I wish the price tag was a little smaller. So I guess looking back on it now, my question would be, would you do that again? Now knowing what it costs and knowing like, you know, the impact in other ways too, whatever that, whatever other ways it may be, would you do GW again or would you look at it like, oh, I could accomplish or get some of the same results if I do X, Y, and Z? I think I would do it again, but try to get some scholarships. Like I was, I was very, I did not apply for a lot of scholarships okay. when I did it. And I probably should have, I probably could have got money like doing that. So you, mm-hmm. left, you left money on the table. Probably. Yeah. I and I like- just wasn't in the financial space that I am now. Right. But you know. But I feel like I a, a lot of us do, right? I, I got for law school scholarships from Columbia, but I think I played it wrong and I didn't research and go out looking for others, like external scholarship opportunities and things like that. So definitely feel your pain, though. 
um, there. Uh, it's exciting. You're close to paying yours off. I plan on dying with mine and they were much less, <laughs> m- much less than, than yours, but, uh, I'm not going to tell on myself on, on, um, social media or the public pod about, uh, paying what I've been paying on them because, mm. you know, maybe I should have been paying more, but anyway, so I, I have an interesting question. Um, and I know there was more in the original question seminar I asked, but given, um, you know, Howard's been in the news a lot as a result of, uh, Madam Vice President Kamala mm-hmm. Harris being a, a grad. And so I'm interested in, in how you ended up making the decision between, Howard and HBCU, NGW, a predominantly white institution, uh, and how you feel about the education you got at GW and and the experience and any thoughts on or reservations now looking back on the decision between the two? Yeah, it's a very good question. I was like, I was dead set that I was going to Howard, actually. They were the first school that accepted me. Um, I loved the interview. it was just, it was a great experience. Um, and I forgot exactly how I made the decision to go to GW, but I talked to a bunch of people, um, you know, my advisors, my family, you know, a bunch of people about it. And I think, um, it was mainly the, you know, I knew I wanted to do psychiatry and, you know, just the experience that, GW gives for psychiatry. They have like a lot mm-hmm. of different rotations in psychiatry. They do a two full months of, of psych for everyone, which is is not is not normal. Um, not every not every uh, residency program, not every um, medical school does that. Um, and then there was also um, the head. You know, I think what also swayed me was that there's a lot of black doctors at GW at the time, and I went the, okay. the president. The president of the med school was black. There was a dean that was black. Um, there was a lot of black psychiatrists there. So I also kind of felt like, um, you know, there was a good, there was a healthy amount of, of black folk at GW. And I felt like I was close enough to Howard. And I did go to a lot of like Howard things while I was there. Um, and I think ultimately that's how I, I made the decision. Yeah, I think I remember um, seeing that Dawn was down there um, part of the time you were you lived near Howard also, if I mm-hmm. remember right, at, at one point. So I lived a few blocks away right. yeah, from, from them. Okay. I lived in the Howard Shaw area, yeah. And I also just remembered, um, shout out to my sister Mel. She's a GW grad also, um, nursing midwifery school. Uh, so look at I that. Love, I love that word, man. Midwifery? It doesn't sound like midwifery. a real word. <laughs> I, swear, I swear it's like slang that you're saying yeah. about what she does every time you say it. Um, well, she's a certified nurse midwife, so shout out to her. Um, one last question before I think we, it would be a good time for us to move forward is just um, in knowing your pursuit of this particular career, what role did your parents play, if any at all? What were they saying? Um, were they advising you? Did they have any opinions? Just curious about just kind of, you know, their input. Yeah. So actually, when I when I was third year, I think I, I stopped softball after my second year Um and my dad didn't like talk to me for a while after because I he stopped softball. 
Yeah, because I was like, I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna stop softball so I can go to med school, so I can focus on getting into med school. Um, so you, you, you know, one would say like, if you told your parents I'm gonna be a doctor, they would be happy. Um, mm-hmm. My dad is totally proud of me now, but you know, it's just, it's just a joke that like he was mad. He was more mad that he couldn't come to my softball. Games. Back then, he had his reservations <laughs> about this decision <laughs> between yeah. softball and medical school. <laughs> That's so um, she was going to be the first to make a lot of money in softball. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but she spent a lot of money yeah. on medical school. <laughs> exactly. Um, and then your mom? Um, they were very supportive. They, um, you know, um, they, of course, I'm the first person in my immediate family to, to finish college. And so um, for the first doctor in, in, in my family. So they were very supportive. They couldn't, like, help me explicitly on, like, what to do and things like that, but they were very supportive. They did not love that I was going into psychiatry. My mom always tried to tell me like, why don't you work with kids and do peds and, you know, things like that. Um, but you know, I think they were more, um, I think, you know, with, with psychiatry, there's a lot of stigma and, uh, mm-hmm. and, and myths are about, um, how, you know, that the patients can be dangerous and there's violence associated with it. So I think she was just kind of worried for my personal safety um, with, with the training uh, in regards to going into psychiatry. But um, now they're both very supportive. My mom tries, tries to be my manager of my, my, of my private practice, which, um, which we'll you know, get you, by the which way. She, yeah, which I said absolutely no. But um, <laughs> <laughs> So uh, let's put a pin in that and just get you to, um, Go back to answering Sam's original question in this part in terms of what medical school looks like, your training, and and then talk to us about what your career has been, and then we'll get into the private practice, which is, of course, um, the the strong part of this series around entrepreneurship. Yeah, yeah. And so medical school, so I did four years of college, one year of master program, which is not required, but you know, four years of college, and then four years of medical school. The first, when I attended medical school, the first two years were didactics, like being in the class, learning all about, you know, human anatomy, diseases, things like that. You have anatomy lab. Um, the last two years are rotations. So you do rotations all throughout, like ICU, surgery, ER, psychiatry, general med, um, PEDS, um, all of that. Um, uh, I particularly did not like my surgery rotations and being at the hospital at three o'clock in the morning. <clears throat> so um, there was that. Um, now with rotations, are you actually physically doing things or are you observing? So in, while you're a medical student, you're, you're, you're just observing. Sometimes I retracted during a surgery. So like when, you know, when they um, have to open you for surgery, um, you have to retract the skin so that they can, you know, look inside and work. Mm-hmm. And so I'd be there, you know, I, I distinctly remember being on my vascular surgery rotation and retracting for like 12 hours. And, you know, you can't go to the bathroom, you're not eating, you're like, you're just in you're the surgery for the surgery. standing there for 12 hours. Yeah. Sounds like um, be a punishment as a kid. Yeah, it was a tough rotation. I think I lost, I lost, I always lost weight on surgery because you just, you didn't eat. And by the time you got home, I'd rather sleep than eat. Mm-hmm. Um, so that was, that was, that was uh, medical school. And then after joining medical school, you do this match program where you apply to residency trainings. And then you, if you're granted interviews, you go on the interviews and then you go into this computer system and you rank all the interviews you do. 
and then some computer algorithm matches you <laughs> with the program. So the, the program has to rank all the people that they interview. You have to rank your, your top people and then it matches. So like if a program ranks me one and I rank them one, in theory, the, the algorithm should match me to that program. Um, so I matched that my top choice, which was Columbia University um, in, in New York. Um, I was very excited relax, about that. Relax, Carl. It's okay. Carl also went to Columbia, everybody. Um, Hater. And I I only applied to New York because, um, you know, Franz was in New York, and so I wanted to come back There's home. There's a lot of following of Franz here. <laughs> Once. He's a, he's twice. He stayed in Binghamton an extra I stayed. Year. That wasn't a follow. Oh, I was going to, okay. I had to do a year. Okay. Okay. But, I think she was also, in Binghamton before him. Before. Franz right. is a year younger than me. Okay. Are you telling on yourself, by the way? Young man. <laughs> um. a, a whole 10 months. Oh. Um, yeah. <laughs> so, so came back to New York. So uh, adult residency training is four years. Um, mm. The I, first. I've lost count on how many years we were. A lot. So yeah. four, 21 four years Savage of- J. Cole. <laughs> <laughs> a lot for college one year of master so that's five four years of med school so now we're at nine and now four mm-hmm. years four of years of adult residency training so this is 13 years we're going on yep okay. um and in adult residency training your first year in for psychiatry you do different rotations so i was in the icu for a month i was on gen med which is general medicine for six months i was on I was in the ED for, um, I think it was a month or two months. And then I was on a neuro rotation for about a month. Um, and so that's the first year. The second year is um, all inpatient work for for psychiatry. And then the last two years are outpatient and elective. Um, so heavy on the first two years. The last two years are a little lighter. Um, that's when I had my first son. Worked out pretty well. Um, my last year at Columbia, I was chief resident, um, of the department. So kind of had an administrative role, um, which got me interested in doing more admin work within, um, the medical world. Um, after my chief year, I did a public psychiatry fellowship at Columbia, which is a one year program. So that would be my last year of training. Um, and basically that, that year kind of teaches you how to be a leader, within the medical field, but then also working in the public sector of the medical field. Again, and just for the record, are you paying for this? That No. So after, so after medical school, you're getting paid, but okay. very low amount. As a resident, I was making like 50,000. Okay. So at Columbia, so you were at making Columbia. Money, got you. Okay. Yeah. Started. Yeah. Started okay. to make money. Okay. And it was all going to your loans, by the way. I mean, mo- probably most okay. of it. I was lucky. I had I had a partner who was working full time. Got you. So, so, where does that take us? I guess so. So that's a whole fourteen years at that point, right? So mm-hmm. when, with that extra last year that you mentioned, which is a lot of um, a lot of studying, and I think um, a lot of money too. And you know, outside of just I think the lack of knowledge and perspective on you know other opportunities and careers and and um, uh, paths that, you know, people of color may not be aware of or, you know, their parents didn't tell them because their parents aren't doctors and don't necessarily have friends that are psychiatrists. I think also, you know, what can be daunting is 
just that aspect that you just walked us through, right? That much schooling, that much money. It's just like, why would I do that when I could just go, you know, get a city job or something like that? And again, nothing wrong with a city job, but it's a it's a quicker way to get into the workforce and start making money and start start pursuing. So, you know, I think it's just good to know from a perspective standpoint that, you know, one, it's doable because you're an example here. Two, mm-hmm. you're still relatively young, right? Mm-hmm. So and I, I'm joking. I'm, still, I'm young. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> you're still young, right? And, um, you know, and, you know, the the money didn't break you and the schooling didn't break you, right? So, you know, you probably, you, you probably embraced it. And I think, Carl, you could probably, you know, speak to that too, but we're not talking about you. But, um, you know, I think it's just, you know, when I hear it, because even, you know, I used to think about that stuff. And, you know, I think, you know, I possibly thought about doing law school. And then when I realized how much reading and writing and like then more schooling, I was just like, I'm I'm leaving this alone. Right. So even I can be like a very personal example of just that perspective. But um, thank you for sharing that. I think that's great. So from that from that point, do we go work for someone? Like, what's the next step that someone takes after that? Yeah, it's a good question. So, in like at Columbia, um, so I, I forgot to mention that. So at Columbia, I did a I did a psychotherapy track during my residency, um, which I just got extra training in psychotherapy. So I did you know I learned how to do psychodynamic therapy. I learned how to do supportive therapy. I learned how to do cognitive behavioral therapy, dialectic behavioral therapy, interpersonal psychotherapy, brief dynamic psychotherapy. These are all just different types of therapies that I got extra training in. And at Columbia, you know, I loved my experience at Columbia, but a lot of the like a lot of the direction while I was there was like either you go into private practice and you become a private practice doc. You work in the hospital as a, a hospital, like a hospital psychiatrist. Or, you know, you kind of go into research. Mm. Um, And I didn't really want to do either one of those. Um, And so I did the public psych fellowship. And I, you know, I would say that was probably one of the most influential things I've done in my career. And there they brought in a whole host of people and kind of like this. And they talked about their jobs. And that's where I learned about how you can do a lot of different things in psychiatry and not be a typical, you know, hospitalist or outpatient private practice doc. Um, so they brought in people who worked for startup companies. They brought in people who worked for insurance companies. They brought in people who worked for the city as commissioner. They brought in people who, um, you know, ran, you know, health, healthcare companies like as CEOs, mm-hmm. Um, so just a, a kind of a lot of uh, variety of what you can do as a psychiatrist. And that really kind of expanded, you know, my kind of uh, view of what I could do as a psychiatrist. I didn't really have to fit into like one of the, the three options I was given during mm-hmm. my training. Um, and so I was just I, I, I tend to think like my career path has been, you know, as, as a lot of people said, um, opportunities that I just said yes to. And I happened to be there at the, at the right time. So when I um, started my career, um, the state was going through a redesign of their Medicaid program. Medicaid bringing, being, you know, the, the insurance that you can get from the federal government if you qualify um, based on um, economic status. Um, Medicare 
you know, for um, older individuals or individuals who have disability. Um, so um, the state, New York State, was going through a redesign trying to decrease our cost um, of Medicare and, and Medicaid, our cost of health care, but improving quality at the same time. Um, and so there was this whole project that launched across the state on how to improve our quality. And so I got a, I took a job um, that was um, to implement a new program at Northwell Health Hospital. Um, and so I worked at Northwell and I did implementation of what we call the collaborative care program, which is how you place a licensed uh, mental health clinician into a primary care doctor's office, really to expand the access of care, um, you know, for mental health to mental health clinicians. Um, because most people get their behavioral health care at their primary care doctors because there are, there are not as much psychiatrists or, you know, licensed uh, mental health clinicians to help people. Um, so predominantly people get it from their primary care doctors and we want to improve the care that the primary care doctors are given. Um, so we place a licensed mental health clinician there to kind of meet with, meet with people who have mm -hmm. behavioral health problems. So that Northwell opportunity. And so my, that Northwell Go opportunity, ahead. was that you working for the state at Northwell or Northwell being able to fund the program through the state and you were working for Northwell? If that makes so, sense. yeah, so Northwell got the funding from the state okay. and so I was working for Northwell doing that. Um, and so I, my job was to go to all these different primary care doctors, talk to them about the collaborative care program. Um, I was their consult, their psychiatric consult. I would, you know, work with our team, hire the clinicians, train them, place them in these practices, and then supervise them to provide clinical supervision. And so that was my, my, my job that I first had. And, you know, very unique job for someone first coming out of training, yeah. you know, to kind of do. I wasn't really doing a lot of uh, direct patient care. I was doing it once once a week. Um, but, you know, was really kind of more of a, you know, starting a new program from scratch you know, hiring people, um, training them, you know, kind of looking at our data, making sure that we're, you know, kind of delivering on what we're supposed to deliver on. So I learned a lot in that, in that environment, um, you know, kind of learning how to start a new program. Got you. And, and so while I was there, um, in that role, another role opened up at Northwell, they were starting a new, a new clinic, um, called the Behavioral Health Crisis Center, and it was really a clinic where people can come and walk in same day and be evaluated by a psychiatrist and get care. Now, in Long Island and in New York, if you're trying to see a psychiatrist, the wait can be up to three months. Um, and so here, people can walk in the same day, be evaluated, be followed for about a month, and we can help them get connected to longer-term care. And so I was really in the beginning of the stage, like, you know, really like looking at the area that we were going to get for the clinic, going through like how many FTEs, full-time employees we need to hire, what our budget was, what the workflow was going to be, you know, how the clinic would operate, what our policies and procedures would be. Um, what, so they were giving you, know, you all the cheat code to just be like, go do this yourself. You don't even got to work for us. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so I joined that and became, um, you know, the the chief psychiatrist for that program um, had a team of, you know, three, three social workers, two licensed mental health clinicians, um, two MAs, um, three psychiatrists, one certified peer 
in one manager and we kind of um, started that program, got it running and was really successful. Still working, it's still up and running today at Northwell. Um, and I'm still close with the people who, um, you know, the social workers and, and the licensed mental health clinicians that we started the program with. Um, and that was also a really great experience of, you know, kind of starting a program, starting a clinic, kind of understanding what, you know, administrative things you have to think of, financial things you have to think of, um, hiring, firing, discipline, you know, but also kind of um, clinical policies and what our, you know, best practices were going to be, you know, kind of setting the standard for, you know, what we're going to do and our evidence-based practices. Um, So that was, you know, very informative as well. And I really liked the idea of, you know, creating something and then also putting my own personal touch onto it. So just to give some perspective on time now, like how much time do we spend at Northwell? You. Oh, at that time? Yeah. How much time in total? I, w- I worked for Northwell for about five years, okay. I think, in total. And I did telepsych with them. Um, I moonlighted at various different hospitals. And then I did these roles as well. Um, so I was there for about five years. And so... Um, my first role, I was was eighty percent administrative, so going to different offices, talking to them, having meetings, you know, kind of making sure the workflows were going, doing s- clinical supervision. But then, when I took over as the chief psychiatrist for the Behavioral Health Crisis Center, I was um, it was flipped. I was now like eighty percent clinical, twenty percent admin, kind of making sure the clinic was running properly. Um, but I was doing mostly clinical work because I was just, I was one of the psychiatrists seeing patients there, um, which is kind of what I was craving because, um, you know, I wanted, you know, as a fresh doctor, you want to get practice, um, you know, to, to study your, your, yeah, of course. your craft. Yeah. Right. You know, a lot of the stuff you were doing initially was a very admin right. and org oriented as right. opposed to like what you've just been studying these past four years. Right. You spend exactly. all that time and all that money yeah. to learn and then not get to put it into practice. Yeah. Exactly. So, so you gave us some perspective coming out. You were making 50 grand. So like just for perspective on the pursuit of this career, what did you stand to make? I guess like at Northwell and wherever you were right before Northwell or just kind of like what is the progressive path for someone especially in in what is an admin role where it could be more standardized whereas if you were doing private practice and seeing patients you could probably charge them per the hour whatever it is your rate would be what what does someone stand to make who's in this actual type of role okay so you cut out a little bit but I think you're asking like what kind of what's the salary right sure. range mm-hmm. um yeah Yes. So for, so I think for, um, for a general like psychiatrist, like staff psychiatrists in the hospital, um, I think right now people make around, I want to say like around 200,000 a year. Um, if you work for a hospital, um, uh, if you work for an outpatient clinic, um, and this is it's, this varies a lot. So the, I sure. know there are c- certain hospitals. There are certain hospitals in the city that pay one hundred and eighty thousand a year, and then there are certain hospitals in the, you know that I know of that pay you know um, two hundred thousand a year, and then they have like certain performance performance bonuses and things like that. Um, so this varies. It depends. And I know like I have a friend who works for the VA who makes uh, I think uh, one hundred and sixty five thousand. So it can be. Mm-hmm. low depending on who your employer is mm-hmm. um 
in an outpatient clinic, you can, again, it varies, um, but I think average is around like 200 to um, 215. Um, in a leadership role, um, you can add probably on like, you know, 15 to 20,000 on top of that, you know, kind of depending on how, how large the leadership role is. As an outpatient doc um, in private practice, um, you know, it depends again on your rate and where you're located, but I have friends in Manhattan, um, where you can charge a substantial amount more money who have million dollar practices. Okay. That's you. So, so let's use that as a segue, not talking numbers, but to talk about what you are doing these days and your move to working, um, or running a, a personal practice or private practice. Um, what motivated you to to launch a, a private practice? Yeah, so let me give a little bit backstory. So mm-hmm. after at, when I was at the crisis center, I wanted you know a, a larger admin role after being in you know a straight clinical where I think I was getting a little burnt out with all the clinical work. Sometimes I was there till like midnight. Um, you know, with the crisis center walking door. Um, you know, at, um, at five o'clock, was it five or six? We closed our doors, but, um, we like, you know, we ha- still have to see all the people who are, who are waiting. Um, so sometimes I could be there till midnight. So I kind of got burnt out. I had my second son, um, and an opportunity came up to work for a startup healthcare company as a behavioral health medical director there. So, um, and the startup company was, was city block health. I was their first behavioral health medical director, at one of their first offices, um, you know, in, in Brooklyn. And I really wanted to go there. It was a, it was a larger administrative role. It was a startup healthcare company. Um, they worked in Brooklyn. So it was a population that I really wanted to work with, um, with people who are underserved. Um, and, you know, again, it was a startup, you know, kind of starting something new, creating something, giving your own to it. So I did that. Um, you know, for some time. And, you know, my decision to leave traditional, a traditional hospital system to go to a startup healthcare uh, company uh, was a very tough decision to make. A lot of, you know, doctors, older doctors were like, you know, you really should a company's going to do, you know, you're, you're losing a lot of security from leaving a hospital system. You cut out for a second. Could you say that? You were saying that several doctors said something. Yeah. So several, like I, I spoke, to, you know, doctors who I knew to kind of give me advice and help me in my decision of leaving a hospital system. And, you know, they, a lot of them advised, you know, not to leave it because there's a lot of security in working for a hospital system, right? There's yeah. always patients, you know, they have, you know, benefits and all this and going to a startup healthcare company, you, you, you don't know if they're going to last, you know, two or three years. Yeah. Um, Sounds familiar. So, yeah. That's what I'm thinking. Yeah. It's, it's, you, you, unless you, you wholeheartedly distrust the individual, you know, it's coming from a, a decent place, but also it's super traditional in the approach, right? Like, you know, get a job and then work for them and then get your gold watch and leave where exactly. it's like, you know, you know, you with aspirations and, and mm-hmm. visions and also just, you know, looking around yourself and saying, is this it? You know, you may be inspired to like be like, I want to do more. I could do yeah. more. This could look different type of thing. Exactly. And that's exactly why I wanted I wanted more. I wanted something different. And so um, I went and worked for a startup healthcare company and it was great um, doing all the things of like, 
creating something new, starting a program. I had a team of like 15 people. I, you know, did um, supervision to all the case managers. And at the time there was like 60 people. And then while I was there, we opened up locations, you know, in Connecticut. So I was, you know, commuting to Connecticut and, you know, looking over the, the Brooklyn, the Brooklyn clinic. And so um, at that time it became a little bit too much. You know, I didn't really want to commute, you know, to Connecticut anymore and, you know, really kind of work with two clinics. And so, um, all this with two kids, by the way, all this with two kids. Yep. And I was, I was breastfeeding, uh, too. So that's a full-time job to itself. Yeah. The Um, refrigerator in the trunk. (laughs) She's transporting milk across state lines. I was driving and breath and pumping uh, for the, all those folks. I, I I already talked to Don about it, but the Willow breast pump is wireless, cordless breast pump, um, the best thing invented. Um, so I think yeah, that's so the then, one we're getting, by the way. And I remember seeing it because I'm a tech geek. Um, years ago, when it first dropped in Gadget, I think was uh, oh, I did at, see at that. CES. Yeah, I think I it was at it, and I remember seeing it years ago. And um, <laughs> we were at New Year's Eve. We spent a good portion of the day at Bye Bye Baby, okay. putting the registry together. Yeah. And it's Willow, and I forget the competitor right now. But we that's funny. We were, LV. Oh, yes, LV. LV. But um. I remember the person I think we both like Willow like she had just had a baby so she was actually testing it out and speaking about the product (laughs) very very well I I told Dawn if no one gets it um for her I will because I just love tech and so I don't mind spending money are you gonna gonna be the one with the remote control in your hand shut up okay continue Christina you should tell I hope Dawn uses her uh flex spending account because it is a healthcare product and so you can use very true yeah um yeah so yeah, so I did that, and then so the opportunity came to work for a Medicaid insurance uh, plan, um, and I still work there till you know today as a medical director for one of the plans. Um, it's a large plan in New York, and so. Um, what does that what mean, I, being medical director for a Medicaid insurance plan? So I give a lot of um, clinical oversight. You know, um, the, my particular one is really kind of supervision. Um, giving clinical um, perspective on, on, you know, people's treatment, recommendations. You know, to a particular go- hospital or a particular area? It's a, it's a, a insurance plan. So it's for, you know, um, within New York. Got you. So, uh, all right, let me see if I, I can understand this because um, I hurt myself back in August. We, we talked about it on here and the insurance company denied the MRI their their medical director whomever reviewed um right that is that something is that is essentially that, what you're that, doing was that or you it wasn't were her you the clearly, one who denied your MRI? <laughs> I, I, yes i denied your mri no as a psychiatrist i was like you can't get this mri right no but um <laughs> is it similar in terms of you're working for an insurance company and and looking over patients treatments and what's being submitted for payment and things like that or no, so that's okay. not what I do. So um, there so are. So you're one doc- of the good ones. Good. Well, you know, <laughs> you know, it's, a, <laughs> it's relative. <laughs> it's relative, yeah. Okay. So no, but um, so there are some doctors who that's what they do. All they do is review cases and mm-hmm. approve it or deny it for medical necessity. Medical necessity, saying you needed to get this test, you know, in order to proceed. Right. Um, and you know what I do is that um. You know, I some some insurance companies do care management, meaning that they 
they call you and they tell you like, oh, can I connect you to care? Um, do you need treatment? You know, things like that. And so I do that in regards to behavioral health. Uh, and so, you know, okay. I kind of like this person needs substance abuse treatment. Can we connect them to substance abuse treatment? This person needs this. And the whole mind frame of it, you know, I know like, you know, denying people always talk about insurance, denying, denying, you know, kind of um, claims request, and things like that mm-hmm. and requests. Um, the whole, in the grand scheme of things, um, our spending in America for healthcare is is quite high, um, and you know we don't. Our healthcare system is broken. Um, there are a lot of other countries who don't have the same amount of spend and actually have a better healthcare system than America does. And so the idea of a of insurance plan, and I work for you know a Medicaid one, so it's a state, it's a it's a federal. Uh, insurance mm-hmm. company is that someone has to control spending, unnecessary spending in healthcare, right? So when you go and see your doctor and they want to order all these tabs, like, is that necessary? Do you need all of those to figure out the problem? And so you, you want to have quality healthcare, um, meaning that, you know, you're getting good quality, you're getting good treatment, but you're avoiding unnecessary spend. Um, and that's kind of how I see my role there is trying to make sure that people are getting the appropriate uh, care that they need at the appropriate time, you know, with the appropriate person. Um, And so that's, that's kind of, you know, my, my, my view on this. So while like, you know, you know, this is not a private insurance company, I would Mm -hmm. say. So like very, very different from a private insurance company. If it was private, Um, she'd be like, I just spend as much money as we can. Um, so, but that's, and my role in kind of joining and, and taking on this, on this working in in a Medicaid insurance plan is that, you know, these are people who are, are, you know, historically are underserved, right? Mm -hmm. Um, this is why they qualify for Medicare, for Medicaid. And I want to make sure that they're getting quality care from quality providers because partly our role is to make sure that the doctors and the people who are taking care of you are providing you with quality care. Um, you know, are they getting their correct test? Are they, did they think about everything? Um, so that's also, um, you know, one of, so I see myself as an advocate for the patient, making sure that the doctor are, you know, are doing everything that they should be doing. Um, you know, cause some doctors, you know, if you're, if you have Medicaid and you don't have private insurance, or you're not private pay, they might treat you differently. So you want to make sure that you're getting the quality care that you deserve. Okay. Got it. So it says, it sounded like you said that's part of what you do. So um, I feel like that elusive. There's another thing that you yeah. do that's not that. So that's my full-time job that I do. In addition to that, I so I do that 40 hours a week. In addition to that, I have a private practice that I do for about 12 hours a week. Um, I see I see patients um, uh, on two days a week. Um, and I see a wide range of, uh, I see a wide range of patients. Um, I am a black doctor. So most of my patient population tends to be, um, you know, minorities. Um, I, and most of my, even though I'm a psychiatrist, I'm a medical doctor. Um, most of my, most of the people that I treat are in psychotherapy with me, um, and some form of psychotherapy. I have a few people who just see me for medications. And then I have a few people who see me for both. Okay. Um, so you have a full-time job, you're running this practice on as a side hustle somewhat, and then you still have two kids, right? Two kids and a, and, husband. And a husband. I'm also, I have two other, two other things that I do. 
Um, I'm not, I'm consulting uh, for a startup healthcare company a couple hours per week. Um, and so I do that as a psychiatric consultant, kind of just give like my, you know, um, guidance as a medical professional. Um, and then I started um, a community uh, program with uh, three of my friends from college, from Binghamton, where gotcha. we attended, called Fro Forward. Got you. Um, I think I'd like to end on the Fro Forward part. So really quickly from what I'm hearing, it's like you're doing everything you can to pay down this $500,000 bill by, by taking, yeah, taking mean, all the jobs. It's taking all the money to pay it off. I mean, at, at the end of this year, I will say I paid off half a million dollars, oh right? God. Like, and do you probably imagine? more because of all of the interest and whatnot. We don't want to go there. Yeah. But yes. I'm just saying, <laughs> I, I, I know the feeling. I know people who've been paying and their loan is more than what they originally took out because no, interest yeah. is crazy. Yeah, man, that whole, like, you know, when I was in four years of residency and then, you know, in fellowship, you know, it was basically my interest was accumulating. And in the beginning, I was trying to do the public service loan forgiveness Mm -hmm. program. But then when I went into the for profit road, I was just like, I got to pay this off. And so my loans at that point went up to four hundred and eighty five thousand. And so, yeah. So but now I'm um, we're we're at one hundred and four. Forty thousand. Yep. And so See, now you might be saying too much. We want people to go into the medical field, <laughs> right? Not, like you, you, you basically saying you still have left what I had for law school. Like we don't want to discourage any <laughs> listeners from from possibly going down this road. There's, no, but my return on investment from what I'm making mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. from what I've made, mm-hmm. and my return on investment, even if when I pay off, like right now, even when I pay off this, um, I've, I started, um, I think it was, um, last year I started making a return on my investment. Okay. So I'm net positive. Basically. Okay. (laughs) As of recent, she's she's in the black. Um, you know, I think one thing there and, and, you know, this is, you know, a question for you really, you know, not professionally or anything like that, but like, you know, you're saying a lot and you're doing a lot. How are you finding the, the way to balance this right because there is also a lot of responsibility that's not professional right when it comes to being a wife and a mom and you know somebody's daughter and you know somebody's sister like that's just a lot going on there so it would be great if you could you know i think as somewhat of a final note to that to this part of the conversation speak to what that means to you and how you found balance in that are you seeing a psychologist or psychiatrist because it like you know just just kind of just how, how I think you could have used therapist, a therapist. as the overall therapist. term yeah. in yeah. that. Yeah. Uh, Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, I am in weekly therapy. I do promote therapy, of course, as being a psychiatrist. Um, I actually, I see a PhD doc, um, not, mm. not an MD. Mm. Um, so I, 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 Classism. Know, I, believe, <laughs> I, I believe, you know, everyone can benefit from, from therapy, um, at some point, um, just to kind of gain perspective. But I think the work-life balance, right, is always a question. And I think it's always going to change. Um, you know, when, when my son was, when my children were younger, um, you know, I had to work less, um, you know, while I was breastfeeding doing that, I couldn't, there's no way I could have had, like, I guess I could have, but at the time I personally couldn't handle more. Um, and so it's always changing. So dynamic, uh, thing. And then, you know, the private practice I started, um, you know, last year in the setting of COVID and, you know, um, 
it's working, you know, right now. And so what I would say is that I do a little bit, I add a little bit at a time and see how I can balance it. But, you know, really, I'm really important. It's what I really focus on is who I spend time with, right? My time is like the most important thing. And so, you know, I kind of regulate that a lot. Um, you know, who, who am I spending time with? Who am I talking with? How am I spending my time outside of work and, you know, kind of making sure, um, you know, my time is spent worthwhile. Um, and so, you know, kind of understanding what's important to me and what my priorities are, and then, you know, following that and making sure I'm spending time wisely with, you know, people who I love. And, um, you know, a lot of my friendships have to understand that I'm busy and that, you know, I might not be at every social event. So with, <laughs> with the pri- launch of the private practice in COVID, has that been mainly telehealth? Are you seeing people in person? How are, how are you running um, yeah, the practice? So- so it was uh, initially all telehealth, um, and I will be in the office hopefully um, within the month seeing people, um, and that you know is pending. I can get the second dose of the vaccine. Um, you know, people are are looking to come back into the office and want to and want to see me in person. Um, so that's something that I'm I'm hoping to to get into you know um, within a month. Cool, cool. And, and can you talk a bit more about Throw Forward? Um, you know, what led to or what motivated you to take an idea and manifest it? And what are you ladies doing? Yeah. And so Throw Forward, you know, we've, you know, the three of us from college, um, you know, kind of talked about starting a business together, um, you know, for, for some time. And then, you know, Four Forward came up, um, actually in 2019, we, we talked about it before the pandemic hit. Um, and, you know, our mission at Four Forward is to provide, a, you know, a safe and supportive community for women who are, you know, in the pursuit of personal growth, um, guided by four women of color. And so we really wanted to kind of create a space for, for women like us, who were on this path of personal growth um, and self-improvement. And so that's what we do at at For Forward. We have a, you know, we have, we offer, um, you know, kind of interactive dynamic courses um, for for women um, who, you know, want to talk about various topics. And so our first offering that we're doing is called our foundational course. And that covers a wide range of topics like wellness, relationships, um, being in the professional world as a woman of color, um, moving up the ladder, finances. Um, and that's an eight-week course um, where we meet with people. Um, and we're going to start our second course this year called Level Up. And that course is really around, is, a, is more of a deep dive into um, wellness, relationships, and goal setting. Um, and that's going to be a five-week course. Um, and each class is about 75 minutes um, and really kind of, you know, kind of guiding small group, dynamic, interactive um, setting, you know, kind of talking about shared experiences. And we're kind of just guides into talking about these topics and what it means to us and how we can, you know, um, develop ourselves a little bit more. So I'm assuming <clears throat> to piggyback off of a point that Carl made that this has been all teller this entire time as far as meeting with groups was that the original plan or was it to kind of have a space where you know you could actually meet in person and you know hear see touch feel each other and kind of like 
actually experience the person in person. I'm just curious, like what your vision was as you guys were coming up with this idea. Yeah. So the original plan actually was for it to be on Zoom. Um, and one of the reasons behind that is because in 2019, I was um, Franz and I were taking um, Spanish classes online at 8.15 p.m. Because that's when after the kids were sleeping, that's the only time that we had to mm-hmm. really do something together. And so we took our Spanish class at like 8.15 p.m. Franz virtually. No, no. Franz don't know no Spanish. <laughs> Franz knows a good amount of Spanish. Um, so, so that's how we were able to fit it in. So my idea was like, hey, I'm a busy working professional mom of two married. You know, if I'm working on personal growth or, you know, I need something that's going to be flexible and I can fit in to my schedule. So the plan all along was to have classes in the evenings around eight o'clock for those people who are busy, but, you know, still want to work on themselves and it being flexible. So you can do it from your own home. But the idea at the time was to have once a month in-person meetup to allow for that in-person experience. Mm -hmm. Of course, that was, um, that we didn't do that part in the setting of COVID. Got you. Okay. Um, so it sounds like um, this isn't necessarily professional as opposed as opposed to more supportive. I'm sure you guys come with, you know, your professional backgrounds in some way, shape, mm-hmm. or form. But it is more of a safe space to explore and um, expose, you know, people's thoughts and feelings around the particular topics that you've been talking about. Exactly. And, you know, one of actually, I think your wife, Sam, you know, when we were I was talking to her, we brought her in for like a focus group. She was asking, you know, how is this different than like, you know, meeting with like your regular friends. Right. Mm -hmm. And like having like dinner with your regular friends. And the, the way that it's different is that you're creating space for yourself to really sit down and we, we come up with prompts and exercises and questions to ask, you know, to talk about it in a group, you know, you don't really sit around with your friends and, you know, kind of say, Hey, what are your top five goals, you know, for this year? Or like, what is, you know, how's your, tell me, let's talk about your top relationships. Tell me what is something about your relationships that you're missing or what is, what are some, what are some of your values in your relationships with people? Um, kind of really just kind of explicitly talking yeah. about yeah. these questions yeah. uh, as a group. And, and it's, sort of like this podcast in a sense, not to compare the two, but we've had friends tell us that they've learned things about us and others who have joined that you just don't get from your regular everyday conversation because it's a little weird when you're out to dinner with your friends to use a prompt that we use, for instance, in our conversations on the podcast or that you just described as part of the work you guys are doing or you ladies, excuse me, are doing at Fro Forward. Yeah. And I think also it's kind of implied, right? Like sometimes when you are friends, it's you still fall into a subjective role because you don't want to hurt. Right, you mm-hmm. don't want to do any harm. Whereas, you know, except maybe, for you, Sam, you, you, I don't. You like to, you, I, you don't I, care I, at all. You, you like, like to, to hurt me harm. every chance. You I like can. to do harm. Um, <laughs> Sam couldn't be a doctor. What's the um, no? I would be the do no harm. I would be the best the, doctor. Do no harm is the mantra, Sam. <laughs> but um, it sounds like you do no harm. It's a space where you can be maybe even you know more objective. Um, 
with regards to the group, especially, you know, you want to be friends and friendly, but, you know, you don't necessarily have ties to each other in any particular way where you'd feel like, you know, hey, you're hurting my feelings by saying something, whereas you're trying to, let's say, expose something for someone that you perceive to be the case. So, no, I think there's definitely rooms and ways in which there's um, space for differentiation because, you know, though I've had conversations with my friends that have been objective, one, they're not easy ones to have, and then usually they come after like a buildup, right? Right. Okay, now we need to have this talk out. So I get it. Um, Sounds great. It sounds like it's still in its infancy and nascency phase, right? Because you're moving on to course two. Right. It sounds like it's a weekly meeting. Yeah, they're all weekly meetings. Yeah. So, could you know, anybody interested, how about you give them um, ways in which they can look it up or find more information about ProForward? And plug your practice. Yes. Um, so for for forward, you can go to our Instagram is for forward, um, and our we have a website and it's uh, for forward dot com. So that's f r o f r o w a r d dot com. Yes, f- exactly. No, Sam, not at all. F r o f o w a r d dot com. There you go. That's what I said. No, no, no. It's, <laughs> He was correct. It's for forward. Yeah, so he, F- he spelled it. He spelled forward F R O as oh, if it was oh, for yes, yes. word. Yeah, yeah, right, right. That's right, what right. I thought that was the spin on the no, fro. Fro, no. No. fro no. is an afro. Gotcha. Fro forward, forward as in moving forward, Thank my forward. friend. Oh, okay. Exactly. Thank you. Thank you for correcting. <laughs> You're welcome. That's what I'm here for. Yes, yes. And uh, for my private practice, um, you can uh, people can uh, email me at Christina, Christina at GurdisMD.com. Um, or you can put in Christina GurdisMD in Google and my uh, my um, page on uh, psychology today comes up. I don't know. That's, that's, that's G-E-R-D-E-S. Is that, right, is that right? Is that right? Because I want to I want to correct him now. <laughs> yes. I, I think I've known them long enough that I, I know how to spell their last name. Okay. Yeah, it's Christina, C-H-R-I-S-T-I-N-A at Gerdes, G-E-R-D-E-S-M-D dot com. Awesome. Well, Christina, thank you so much. This was great. Uh, we really appreciate you. I hope, you know, it lends to you. Again, I think my biggest takeaway here or what my um, biggest hope is for, again, more exposure for people to think about, you know, different opportunities, whether it's to seek, you know, therapy or whether it's maybe I could become a therapist, whatever it may be. I think, you know, hearing more stories like yours and some of the other people we've had the pleasure of interviewing um, you know, hopefully can spur those thoughts. Um, so I guess I, I'm hoping we get a younger audience because if you if you pass a certain age, you're not going back to school to do all <laughs> this. <laughs> yeah, but but it can motivate you yeah. to go out and make your dreams a reality, Absolutely. right? And, and that recognize that you have oppor- it, you can take advantage of opportunities or make your own. Yeah, exactly. And if there's anyone interested in you know kind of becoming a doctor or non traditional path of a doctor, I think that mine has been. Um, you know, that's, they can feel free to email me and I'm happy to, you know, discuss and talk with them about it. Awesome. Beautiful. Thank you again for joining us. Thank you for having me. Um, so I think that will do it for this episode of not over text conversations better had in person. Carl, let's try not to say it's been a while next time. Yeah. But until next time, until next time, we will see you. Peace. And that's a wrap.
That is a wrap on another episode of Not Over Text, Conversations Better Had in Person with your boys, Carl and Sam. Thanks for listening. Let us know your thoughts by emailing us at notovertext at gmail.com and following us on Instagram at notovertext. The podcast is available on all major platforms. That includes Apple, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google. Anywhere podcasts live, you'll find us there. Subscribe and give us five stars five stars and also leave us comments and we will read through your comments but only five star comments so if you have shade throw the shade and also (laughs) throw me five stars and if you're upset at sam for not reading your less than five star comment let us know about it by leaving us a voice memo using the anchor app awesome thanks for listening to another episode of not over text